Hello, everyone. This is Coach Aaron Saft, and I am coming on the MR Running Pains podcast once again to bring you an awesome guest in Andrew Snow. Andrew and I have known each other for quite a few years now, and I've always been impressed and I always have admired um, Andrew's attitude, his motivation, uh, his hard work and dedication to our sport and uh, everything that surrounds it. As you're going to hear, um, Andrew has done quite a lot in our sport, um, not only with his running, but um, in coaching and um, bringing his knowledge and um, his attitude, his um, his background and in, in his strengths uh, to his athletes that he coaches. Uh, we talk about um, belief and believing, which um, is a huge piece of this. And I really love this conversation. Um, some really uh, heavy hitting points here. We get deep into uh, the mental aspects of training. And um, it just was a great conversation, a very long conversation. So uh, ebbs and flows, highs and lows. Um, but like I said, it's just a lot to take away from this conversation. So I really hope you enjoy it. And I want to thank Andrew for all his time. I came over to the house and we did this in person, so it was just great. I felt very present in the conversation, and really, uh, just, <laughs> just a, you know, I just couldn't say enough good things about Andrew. So, um, you know, please, if you have questions, reach out to Andrew or I. Um, both of our contacts will be in the show notes. And um, after our conversation with Andrew, I will get back on and talk about everything that's going on here in the world of MR running pains. So, um, until then, here is Andrew Snow. All right, well, here we are, Mr. Andrew Snow, Mr. Has, Aaron Saff. <laughs> he's made it to my residence. We're, we're face to face. It's been a while since I get to see this guy, so I'm mm-hmm. thrilled to have him here in my home and, and record with him. So, um, Andrew, why don't you start by telling us about Andrew Snow and, and his uh, his backstory? <laughs> backstory with running, coaching, or life? Just, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Give us give us the. Uh, the Cliff Notes version of, of Andrew Snow. I'm not the best at Cliff Notes, but I'll do my best. Uh, <clears throat> I always felt like earlier in life at high school, college, I felt like I was like a high achiever kind of academically. Uh, I got really good grades and I kind of had an ego boost from that. And I always assumed that that would translate into being successful in business, in running, just in life. And I found that it wasn't academic smart was totally different than life. And, um, I found that when I had someone to tell me what to do, like a rubric and, uh, something to follow, like the school's giving you an agenda that you need to do that I could tick it off and do it really well. But when it came to directing myself, my own behavior and getting at the goals I wanted in life, uh, years went by, five years went by, 10 years went by. And I thought that I wasn't really where I wanted to be. So I made a couple of level ups and it kind of started in my late twenties, early thirties, about the time that. I met you mm-hmm. and, um, I'd worked on my, started working on myself through my relationships. That was kind of like my outlet for self-development. And I really sort of think that spiritually I wasn't even born really until, uh, I started getting into like more serious relationships and, and finding that they were very difficult and they, they tested parts of me that, um, I had neglected developing there were, it was like little pieces of child coming out. So I started getting into self-development and uh, it led me, I'll fast forward a, a bit here and it led me, one of my relationships, she was really into self-development mindset. She was a money mindset coach, which was 
kind of cool um, to just be around that. But she brought me to an event, a Tony Robbins event mm-hmm. called Unleash the Power Within in, uh, in 2017. I think it was. And I was just blown away. I had no idea that you could, that a person could be so in charge, in control of the direction of their life. And it really, I found that it came down to what you believe, what your values are. And these things, they like, where does someone's beliefs or values come from? Uh, I think you could ask a lot of people and they could probably say something that sounds politically correct or sounds nice. Um, but where did those come from? Oh, I've just had them my whole life. And they, they maybe came from their parents or from their church or something like that. But I found that you can change those. And very rarely do I see, even in myself, that people change what their beliefs are, change what they value. And so that event really uh, changed how I look at the work that I'm doing, who I'm becoming, what I'm getting in this life, um, what I'm contributing in this life, what I value and Uh, I decided to cultivate becoming the kind of person I asked myself some, this went really deep. Like these events, if if you've ever, if you know anything about the Tony Robbins events, you go, uh, you know, from 8 a.m. until 3 a.m., no stop, no bathroom break, no food. You just go, (laughs) you walk across fire, you do all kinds of stuff. It's it's very intense. Um, But so I'll distill this down. But if you, if you ask yourself, what it is you really want out of life when you get to the end of it, then what would I need to value in order to be the kind of person who naturally has that? And that started transforming things for me. So I had a job uh, as a sales rep. And at the time uh, you knew me in that position, I was your ultra sales rep and uh, a bunch of brands. And it was a really good job. I think a lot of people would have been very happy to have that job. I made good money. I was basically in charge of my own schedule. It was fun. I was good at it. And ultimately I thought that life was going to be very good, but it was not going to be outstanding. And one of the things that Tony taught me was that the difference between um, good to great is a large jump, but the difference between great and outstanding is just another two millimeters. And that extra two millimeters, I don't think that people really have the capability, the natural inclination to really go for those extra two millimeters if things are comfortable. They don't have to be the way you want them, but a lot of people are comfortable with their finances, with their athletic performance, with their body, with their health, with their relationships. They're like pretty good. They're good enough not to have a huge overhaul of it, but they're not bad enough to where they would need to change everything, but it's not where they really want it. And that, that's kind of, ooh, I got goosebumps. I have this this thing with myself where um, I kind of just asked my, my higher self, whatever you want to call it, to give me goosebumps anytime I'm speaking my truth. And so when I get little goosebumps like that, I, I know that's like my spirit family kind of just saying, keep saying that. Um, and so I think in order to get those extra two millimeters and be outstanding, that it's a choice that um, it, it's never going to happen unless you take a little bit more risk and change your beliefs, believe that you can do something and not just like wishy-washy, like cultivating the belief. And um, so I've worked on that a lot in the last many years. And this is really where I start with my runners as well is if we, if I get on the phone with someone and they say they have these goals to hit this time and run this thing and whatever it is. And if I ask them if they believe they can do it and they say, yes, I say, what do you need a coach for? Um, because there's oftentimes we pull ourselves in different directions. We believe that we sort of have the capability to do something. We all, I think we all think that we have more in us, more potential, but it starts to hurt 
and maybe even lead to depression or, or giving up or anything if we don't see that it's happening. But I think everybody believes they're capable of more. It's like an inherent human thing to want to grow. And um, tapping into that choice to grow when you don't need to is a high-level thing that most people uh, seem to be very hesitant to do because it's hard to give up. So in my case, I gave up the job that I had, which was the best income I had ever earned by a lot and went down to zero. And I was ecstatic to be doing that um, because of the beliefs that I had developed. Um, That's really how I got to where I am now. It kind of doesn't, my belief is that the basic core belief is that everything is always working out for me. And my job is to tap into the emotion of what it is that I want and align myself to becoming the kind of person who naturally has that, not force my way to do it and not take massive action. There's like, you know, with like David Goggins and all these people who like take a lot of action that inspires people uh, to some degree. But I think that you can't push your way to success. It's more of a pull and the actions outside of you, someone observing you, they might look exactly the same, but to you, one of them feels like a push and you can only do that so long. But when you feel pulled, because it's in alignment with who you want to be and your values and you love that you're growing, regardless of what the outside world says, you can go bankrupt, your family could leave you. But if, if you believe that you are loved and if you believe that it's all always working out for you, everything's always working out for me, that's my mantra, then it's easy to, um, easy might be hyperbole, but you become capable of taking any setback that could happen in life, um, no matter how bad. And reminding yourself, everything's working out for me. And that's where faith comes in. And that's the final part here, because um, I think a lot of people talk about faith as a blind faith. And this, this what I'm saying here, um, I've learned from Napoleon Hill as well. Have you read any of Napoleon? I have not. Okay. Um, this will be the last part of this, is that I don't think that faith it is necessarily, I, d- I think it shouldn't be a blind faith, that we shouldn't just sit here and say, I have faith that whatever will happen because we're given a body and a human experience for a reason. This is, this is my belief. Um, listeners could agree or not, but apply to faith means that if you believe something's true, then you will take the actions to, to get there. And even when a blockade gets in your way, it doesn't matter if you have faith that you can have whatever you want in this life, be whatever you want, give whatever you want. If you know that that's possible, then no matter what happens, you have faith that it's still there for you. And on the journey to it, um, all is love. Like you are going to grow into this person who has that thing naturally. And the obstacles that get in the way are the, the things that get you to grow. And that's really the path that I found to uh, outstanding success in anything. And in running, we often think that it's, what's the workout coach? Give me the PDF printout so I can put it on my refrigerator and check it off. And it's a good idea to have a plan, but if you don't yet know what the real goal is, if the goal is the time on the clock or the distance run or the, the place that you get or the age group, then it's kind of transient. It's kind of cheap because it didn't tap into those things that you're becoming that, that pull you into taking action long-term. And it's just a matter of time before something happens. COVID comes along, um, an injury comes along, a race is canceled, I'm too busy, I'm too stressed to eat properly, any of these things. And then it becomes easy not to do the things and nobody will blame you. Right. So um, maybe that's a good place for me to stop. That's really that journey right there of knowing, having faith, knowing what it is that you want, defining that, 
um, having faith, which is actionable faith, not passive faith, and it, morphing yourself into the person who naturally has the outcome that you want, rather than trying to like, let me take this little step and see what happens. Then another one and see what happens. Because then, I mean, how far are you going to go? You never really believe that you could hit the big one. You only believe that you can take that small step. So that's the only step that you take. And can you take infinite small steps? I don't know. That's most people's approach, but large level ups in life, including in running performance is um, not uncommon. It's from the, the, people that we look up to the most. I think the runners that I talk about Billy Mills a lot. Mm -hmm. You've met him several yes. times, I think. Mm -hmm. So Billy Mills took um, two minutes off of his 10K time in one race. Incredible. Not in six months, not in, not from like a preliminary to in one single day. And he went through the 5K in a one minute PR for a 5K. And, you know, an average runner might be able to do that, but he's an Olympian. He's, he ran like 28 something. So to take two minutes off, it's staggering. And I mean, if you listen to his story, it began uh, seven months before with visualizing, but not like a cheap, just like woo woo visualization. He, he really believed that he could do this to the point where goosebumps again, like, um, when he's on the, the last with 150 meters to go, he gets pushed out into whatever lane five, lane okay. six. And, um, his commentary on it is that I could see the tape stretch across the finish line. I could hear my, my heart pumping and my thoughts became one more try, one more try. I can win. I can win. But the problem is I was still in fourth place. And then his thoughts became, I won, I won, I won, but he's still in third place. And that's the mark of a champion. His belief was what was like in alignment. It was utterly through him that I won, even when the evidence showed that he's in third place. I won. I know that. And then the result was, you know, the biggest upset, right. arguably, the in Olympic medal. history. Yep. So I'll stop yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> I um, told you, short-winded is not my thing. No, no. That was wonderful. <laughs> I think there was a lot there. A lot of things we can talk about for sure. And um, for those that aren't familiar with Billy Mills, I suggest his movie Fire on the Track. It's an amazing story um, of where he came oh, running from. Running Brave. Running Brave was running brave. Uh, the fire on track was that's that prefontaine. Pre okay, yeah. so running brave. Excuse me. Um, I'll put that in the show notes. Um, and he also just came out with a new book too, um, which I have on the shelves behind us somewhere. Um, so I'll put those in the show notes because it is a fantastic story. Um, where do you equate or do you not equate joy in that equation of what you just went over? Where does joy come in? So joy is an emotional state that. Uh, I think people think that they they have joy or any other emotional state because of what happens to them. You win the lottery, you're joyful. Your spouse leaves you, you're sad, sort of. But um, what I found is that this is maybe the biggest tool to achieving whatever it is that you want, is that you are in control of your emotional state. So joy is, I think we'll make different decisions about anything from a place of joy than from a place of anything else. I think there are some key emotions um, and they are joy, love, and gratitude. And from a place of any of those, we'll say the right thing and we'll do the right thing. And if something seems scary, but it's the right thing to do, we'll do it. But if we're in fear or depression or even just apathy, we might not make those same decisions. So being in a place of joy is the key to um, beginning a new action. Change how you feel, change your internal state, and you'll change how you act. And then you'll get a different result. Right. So I usually say start with joy. 
<laughs> you know, like the, absolutely that at the inception is yeah. starting whatever you're going to do with joy in your heart. And that's going to start to take the right path because you've done, you've started it in a positive frame, um, which is, you know, what you and I both did when we stepped away from our, you know, our previous career professions, whatever we have. And, you know, we took a step into the unknown. We did it with a joyful heart because we were going in the direction that we knew we wanted to be led, you know, or we were choosing to lead ourselves down the new path that we felt was a more true recalling to ourselves and who we wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, that's, you know, such a tough thing to do. Um, especially <laughs> given the fact that we both had stable, as you said, you know, stable jobs. Um, we were, you know, in a good place, we, you know, yeah. we, we didn't have to worry about much, right? Like financially we were in good situations, both of us. Um, but you know, we knew it was, Hey, you know, this, this isn't what my path is. This isn't my calling. This isn't, you know, I, I retail was not me. Like that was, you know, I, I love Scott Socia. Um, it's, he's a, you know, a friend to both of us. Um, you know, my old business partner ran with him this morning and Scott has, has changed my life in many ways. Um, he has changed, you know, my beliefs, um, of what I saw in life, of who I am just because of the, the man, the way he lives. Um, I, I changed, you know, uh, mentally, physically, I did a lot of things differently because I saw, you know, what impact it has on others when you treat them the way that Scott does and and you care for somebody out of the, you know, um, out of the, I'm not going to say the goodness of your heart, but out of the, um, the affection that you have for another human being and wanting to see them be in a, uh, a better state or better, you know, uh, either mental state or physical state. Um, it, you know, that it's just amazing what Scott does. And uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, I truly, I'm glad he is in my life and that he was in my life in those younger years because he was definitely one of those people that I looked up to and, and learned a lot from. Um, but um, you, you can, you can touch on that. I How did you know that it was time to make that shift? Um, well, so, you know, over the course of, uh, a few years, um, I, I just, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't into the store, you know, the, the retail, like doing, it just, it felt rote, you know, um, I felt unchallenged, unfulfilled. Um, I didn't, I didn't feel, uh, I guess I felt like I'd, I kind of hit a glass ceiling. Like I, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't growing, um, you know, as a, as a person, I wasn't, um, I wasn't going to work and feeling, you know, happiness and joy when I came home. Um, you know, it was, it's a stressful position, um, being a store owner, you know, just a lot of things going on. Um, but you know, like when I, um, when I thought about what made me happy, um, it was, it was coaching, you know, and, and being with other people that were like-minded and seeing and sharing in their journeys. Um, because it was not only a celebration, you know, uh, when, when they did well, it was also, um, you know, it was, it was hard when they didn't, you know, like I felt invested in them and that's where I learned I was more invested in coaching than I was in the store mm-hmm. because I, I just, I felt emotionally drained, you know, at that point. And that's when COVID hit. Um, so when COVID hit, it was kind of the turning point. We said, you know, this it's, we had the conversation, should we file for bankruptcy and shut the doors down? 
um, we didn't see a way forward with the two of us. And that's when I said to Scott, you know, like, it's okay if, if you want to continue it, you know, I just, I can't like, I can't drag the store down. Like I don't want to close the shop just because we both want to do it. You know, um, if one of us is going to do it, it needed to be him. And he, you know, he was like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go forward. And I said, that's great. You know, I, I just want you to understand that I'm not, I'm not going to go forward. Like I, I, it's not that I want to, you know, give up on it, but I think it's the time, you know, and, and it's right. I think the business will, We'll do better with just one owner. We don't have to have two salaries. Uh, when I looked at the finances, it was always, you know, if we went into deficit that year, it was the difference of my salary. Like, that's how much we went into deficit. So, mm -hmm. you know, seeing that number, I said, listen, if we just cut out my salary, if I'm not there, store is going to break even, you know, at worst. You know, if you turn this around and, you know, do what you need to do, reduce inventory, all that stuff, you could flourish, you know, and that's what he's done. Yeah. Credit to him. <laughs> wow. Uh, I want to just respond, uh, take some notes as you were talking, and I want to respond to your story to see if I can <clears throat> extract some just like principles that, that others can apply from the story you just told. Um, the way that you felt. So I think our emotions are uh, the signposts. And there's some ways that this is obvious, like in relationships, like when you, f you can feel when there's a connection and you can feel when it's kind of yucky here and everything is subtle in between. And, you know, good luck uh, trying to make a relationship work. If the feeling isn't in alignment with it, we just know. And that's why people stay maybe for like longer. Um, and it doesn't have to be just a romantic relationship with a job or a friendship or anything. Mm -hmm. We tend to like drag it out. And then they'll say, when they leave, they'll say, I knew for a long time that it just wasn't whatever, because their emotion is telling them something that, they kind of resisted and thought that they could use force or overcome it or ignore it. And I think that that's a mistake. Um, I don't know why our emotions are here. We could you know, try to <laughs> evolution this and whatever. But the point is that we have them. Uh, and it's, I believe it's for a good reason. I, I believe it's our guidance system. And you're telling me that um, you felt like you were pulled, let's see, some of the, the words that I think you said. At the, at, with the store, you were unchallenged, you were unfulfilled, and you weren't growing. And uh, listening to your emotion and then being called into coaching um, and podcasting and everything that you're doing, uh, just following that emotion, I think, is the most important thing because a lot of times we think, well, I want those emotions. I want to grow more. I want to contribute more. Maybe I'll try this thing, but then it doesn't work out. Like my first business that I started after leaving that other job, I did it for like six months. It wasn't working. So I shifted and thank goodness I did. So even, I think that just following the emotion is the only thing you need to do. And if you follow that emotion and it doesn't work out, like if, uh, if your coaching hadn't worked out to this point, then I think our job becomes to stay following that emotion, seeking the fulfillment, seeking um, the challenge that we wanted and just say, I wanted a challenge. Well, there it is. And guess what? You got what you asked for. And yeah. so it brings us back to that idea that everything's working out for you. You asked for a challenge. It happened. And just being thankful for that and moving forward, even if it didn't work out, even if the next one doesn't work out. You know, we've heard those stories about... Um, uh, I think Howard Schultz, the the Starbucks guy, and and 
and the KFC Colonel Sanders or whatever. I used to have quotes from them up on my office uh, that said how many bank loans they'd applied for. And one or both of them, they applied like for like 270 loans at a bank before they got a yes to open the next door. Oh my goodness. And could you imagine after two, three, four, how many people would give up right. after one or 50 yep. or 100 or right. 200? And they just kept going until it's a yes. And then it's like the universe demanding from you. Are you serious? You said you want this. Do you really want it? Because it's harder than you thought. Yes, I really want it. Okay, but it's actually 10 times harder than that. Do you okay. still want it? Yes. And then it's like on after like so many iterations of that, that idea of like six feet from gold, most people stop when they're six feet from gold. Um, just keep going, having faith. And who knows what the outcome will be, but sometimes it's even better than we had in- initially planned. Yeah. Right, there's, a, there's a quote I heard yesterday, I think that was, if you want to make God laugh, Tell her your plan. <laughs> yes. God. Yeah. We make plans and God laughs is, yeah. <laughs> is always the way I hear it. But yes, that's for sure. Um, when you, um, when you decided um, that you were going to change careers, did, when you created your plan moving forward, was there a, a fallback plan as well? No. Hell no. <laughs> that was one of the reasons I didn't want a fallback plan at all. I left that job before I had had, before I enrolled any clients, before I had set up a, my website. Mm-hmm. Um, I had signed, I had enrolled in coaching for myself. I hired a business coach and like how to set up online business, this and that. And I was like going through that course when I announced that I was leaving that other job. And that was like, it was calculated on my part to not have a fallback and to not keep working. I could have stayed at that job for like months and just, I mean, it was pretty easy. I could have done both maybe, but my belief was that, um, you've heard the term, uh, burn the ships. Mm-hmm. So I felt that if I had a fallback, then eh, if it wasn't working for six months or a year, I'd be like, well, that didn't work. And luckily I had the fallback and just stay there and you wouldn't keep going. So I didn't want a fallback yeah. and I haven't done anything, any side gigs or any, yeah. any jobs or anything like that yep. um, since then. Right on. And I think that was key. When we have a fallback, we'll take it. And in running, that's uh, a plan A and a plan B. And it can be useful to have like a fallback plan, but. Well, especially in an ultra. <laughs> especially in an ultra, sure. Um but the ultimate goal of what it, what it is you want, maybe we hit some races along the way. A lot of runners who I work with, they want to run a half marathon or a, get their Boston qualifier or something. Sure. And as we dig deeper, well, they really want to run a 50 miler, but we dig deeper and they really want to do a hundred miler. And then we keep going deeper into like why they want to do that. But just on the surface of the races, yeah. it would be a disservice to, so you can have a plan A and a plan B for the marathon and the BQ and the 50. Yeah. But if the thing you really want is the 100, we better not have a plan B for that. The the plan A is the 100 and what it's going to bring you and the experience you're going to have. And let's not waver on that. And be adaptable in the moment because if something happens, hey, maybe whatever. But I think if we, especially when it comes to times, I want to hit this time and my plan B is this time. When things get really hard towards the end, and maybe you're about to bonk or something like that, and you th- you believe that you're gonna miss your A time, you s- like settle for the B time. But if the if there's no B time, if it's like an you know, imagine like a Olympic A qualifying standard. Uh, there's no, I guess there. That's a bad example because there is a B standard. But <laughs> <laughs> but you get the point, right? Yes. Um, or like winning the Olympics. There's like if you want that gold medal, you better get the gold medal, not like eh, but B goal is 
silver because then Kipchoge is going to pass you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so in that process, um, you know, uh, if we talk about looking at your, your deeper desires, right? Like right now, right. It's okay. This year it's the marathon, but ultimately I'd like to do a hundred miler. Um, what do you like to, cause that's one thing I love discussing with, with runners is like, you know, what's your timeline and then what's, mm-hmm. you know, let's talk about the reality, like set me up there. How do you discuss that type of, um, that timeline with your clients, with your yep. athletes? Uh, well, we have to decide what it is. What is the goal that they really want? And we spend, when I get on an initial call with someone who's potentially looking to, uh, join my program, we talk normally for an hour and a half to two hours. And I'd say 40 minutes of that is just getting clear on the goal because people really, really, really often don't know what their goal is. They think it's the hundred miler, but like why the hundred miler? Well, because I'll feel good and be accomplished. Yeah. But why, why, why don't you already feel good and accomplished? And we like dive down into that. So once you define what the goal actually is, um, I agree, we need a timeline because otherwise how are you going to put a plan together? And the races that lead up to that, Sometimes that timeline is um, a year out and sometimes it's multiple years out if they're going from a half marathon to a hundred miler, right? Mm-hmm. And when the timeline gets really long, then... Oh, bye, bye to that camera. <laughs> um, talking about timeline. Yeah. If, they, uh, if they're thinking uh, long-term, yep. it may be you know, a half marathon this year, but you're saying if ultimately right. it's a marath- uh, hundred miler. So a more reasonable timeline, I think people think uh, about a year out oftentimes. And so the races that we want to know what's the most important race. And I put that on a a timeline in my notes and I just put a star near it and say, that's the most important one. Let's train for that and not, uh, we won't neglect the other races, but we're not going to sacrifice our development for that distance, for that specificity for the other races. So (laughs) I think there's a common approach that runners take whatever race is coming up. Let me like tune up and sharpen up for that. And it's a 10K. And then, well, I got a half marathon. Let me sharpen up for that. And then they're never really building a foundation. They're just sharpening up all the time. They're in a very specific phase all the time, but it's never specific for the thing they really want. So they end up only getting specific towards the thing they want after the second to last race is complete. Well, now I'll focus on that. But you just had six months or 12 months where you could have been focusing on that. So what I like to do is set up, um, set up their training to, to peak them at the time of their, the race that they care about the most. And then we use other races as training tools on the way to it. And what I've found is that very often you can still hit the goals that you have in those, in the shorter or longer races, um, before it on route to the one that you're really training for. And people think that's not, uh, common, but just through like effective foundational training. Um, do you believe, do do you believe in (laughs) having, um, B races and C races? So, and so far as like in level of importance to them, mm-hmm. um, do you believe yeah. in that? Yes, for sure. Yep. Um, and that, so the goal doesn't have to be defined as one race, one time. The goal could be to have a spectacular season and race these three races the best that I can. Mm-hmm. I've got uh, a runner who's, uh, 64 right now and she does about a marathon a month. Um, I think she just hit her hundredth marathon just last month. Wow. And, uh, her goal has nothing to do with her time. She wants to continue to run Boston every year. So she has to maintain that BQ. But aside from that, uh, it's about health and longevity. And for her, it's contribution. So we had her draw up uh, a custom singlet that has Bible verse on the back. Mm-hmm. So she's inspiring runners as she's going. And that is the goal. 
So when we define the goal, it's not defining it as distance and time. In fact, if it comes out to be distance and time, we probably got it wrong. So um, yeah, we can hit, if the, the goal can be a whole season or multiple races for sure. Yeah, I kind of discussed that on my last podcast. I just, I think sometimes we we say this is a C race, right? But mentally when we go into it, we we kind of mentally portray it as an A race. So if, if they come away with it, with a less than, you know, what they would have anticipated their A goal to be. Like, in other words, they perceived it as an A race rather than a C race. Uh, and by C race, I'm saying we're training through this. This is, a yeah. tr- you know, basically a training run. But they want it to be as if they're going to race as if it was an A goal race. You know, so it's like mentally it's not connecting, right? And th- And that's where I think we have to sometimes teach the athletes it's okay like if you're saying this is a c race you have to be okay with it being a c performance and and graded as a c right an average not an above average race sometimes we get that disconnect i mean sometimes yeah you can have a good performance but if if we're truly using it as a c race then mentally you have to be prepared for that as well and i think a lot of times they're not because they get done and they're like oh you know i I didn't have the my PR and I'm like, well, no, <laughs> we weren't trying to go for PR here. Yeah. I know that would have been wonderful, but you know, we trained through this, you know, that was kind of the, this was a, you know, you know, actually a training effort. <laughs> so, um, the, the, can you talk about the, the disconnect sometimes we have of the, you know, the, the mental piece of, of the racing season, you know, where if we have an A race, that should be right. The, the kind of, um, the fruit of the the labor, right? The celebration of the journey. Whereas like there's pieces of that journey, right? That we're trying to celebrate along the way, but they're not necessarily the big fruition, the big party. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to talk about that for a minute? Sure. I think it just comes down to maturity as a runner. Um, and a intermediate step between this is just pacing, for example. So, you know, beginning runners, even intermediate runners often run positive splits. Mm-hmm. Um, even advanced runners, um, Kipchoge's last world record was a positive split, right? Uh, but the ability to run a negative split is, I think, the sign of a mature runner, as is what we're talking about here. Um, being able to define what the plan is, define what the goal is for a race, and allow yourself to like not to lie to oneself. And I think we do that a lot. So as a coach, we might say, um, you know, let's run this race at whatever, 90% and work on pacing or a fast finish or whatever. Um, work on the hills, like anything. And a runner may agree to that, like logically, but emotionally they want to give it hell because that's the part of their identity. Yep. And we watch those like Prefontaine movies and he's like grimacing and killing himself. <laughs> and we, we love that. So we also have an ego that gets in the way, um, wanting to beat this person or not be at the back of the pack or beat our time from last year. And so I think sometimes the, I'm, I'm using the term ego as not like a negative thing. It's just like the, the mind, not the true part of who you are. It's like the, the th- analytic part of your mind. I think that there's a conflict between um, what we say we want and what we actually want. And just getting honest with ourselves about what we want. If you want to burn it down and kill yourself in every race, then you should do it. But don't say that we're going to do it as a C race because mm-hmm. what you really want is to kill it because that's who you are and you feel good when you go home when everything's bloody and you lost your nails. Uh, and that's okay, but getting to know oneself and, um, uh, Bruce Lee, I'm reminded of Bruce Lee who said this, uh, that, um, 
to know oneself, honestly, not lying to oneself is very hard to do. And I agree with Absolutely. that. So when there's a disconnect, um, I think the people don't, they haven't defined the goal properly or they're lying to oneself. And sometimes I got to watch my language a little because that could rub people the wrong way. If you say you're lying, they're like, oh, I'm not lying. But I don't mean it. We're not consciously doing it. It's yeah. just a lack of right. tapping into like knowing what it is we truly want and being okay with that. It makes race day so much easier. It does. Mm, yeah. um, and, you know, um, uh, we'll take Western states, for instance, right? This is like I acknowledge what this race means, not only to myself, but to others and those that haven't gotten in yet. Like I, I recognize what this opportunity is. At the same time, I also have to recognize there are three other hundred milers within you know four months that I'm going to be trying to tackle. Yeah. So when I look at it, you know, like you were just saying, the typical Aaron is like, I want to give this race hell, right? Like I want to compete, but can I do that feasibly and then line up three weeks later at Vermont? I mean, maybe would that diminish Vermont? And then again, doing Vermont, would that then diminish Leadville? That's the chain of reaction that we, we don't know is, am I willing to take that risk? When I analyze that myself, the answer was no, I'm not willing because my goal is the grand slam my goal is not western states so i had to get on the same page as that that took some time to really back off and say when that you know when he fires that shotgun i'm not going like a bat out of hell like that and that took a lot for me to be like i'm okay with that you know and and that's what i have to stick to and i've reminded myself that on many runs (laughs) that you know I am just going to relax. I'm going to enjoy the experience just like I did at hard rock. You know, I had an awesome opportunity to do hard rock and you know, I I got in four weeks before. So (laughs) not knowing that hard rock was going to be, you know, an actual event that I was going to do. I took it for what it was. I said, I'm going to experience hard rock and whatever the hard rock experience gives me, I'm going to be joyful and happy that I was on the line and that I had that opportunity to, to actually kiss that rock. And that's the same thing for Western States. Every time I think about getting on that track and running that final lap in Auburn, I almost start to break down and cry. And I get a little emotional right now because <laughs> I am just so happy that I have the opportunity. And that's what I'm going to remind myself on race day is I am here with this opportunity. I am grateful for this opportunity and I'm going to take full advantage of it and live in the moment and take everything in every experience of it. You know, the good, the bad, the ugly, it's all part of it. So, Wow. <laughs> it's well said i think that uh that's why uh you resonate with the people who you do <laughs> because of that right there um that you're the kind of guy who's look man i respect you a lot for a lot. When, let me just review a little bit of our relationship when i moved <laughs> to Asheville, um I moved, I moved to Hendersonville and, uh, like the day after I moved there, there was a $5, 5k <laughs> at Fletcher or one of those things. Right. And I met you there and you were like really nice. You invited me to your house for the foot RX party. I'm like, what's foot RX. <laughs> and, um, you've just been like, uh, focused on in this case, what you just said here about Western States is like focused on joy, um, and giving and like the kind of energy that you have, the kind of emotion that you have. And you said you decided that no matter what, you're going to be joyful when you get on that track at Auburn, right? Mm-hmm. Um, no matter what. But Aaron, what if you have a broken leg? It'll be limping. <laughs> yeah, but you'll be joyful. Yeah, I'll be joyful. What an experience, yep. right? Yep. Uh, and I think that's a high-level thing that um, if more runners could tap into that, that 
there's like there's no problem anymore because that goes back to the very beginning of what we were talking about here it's up to you how you feel you're in charge of your emotion Mm -hmm. and um not what happens so you break your leg whatever right you die i mean hopefully not but (laughs) it's like you died in on your purpose you know yep and uh you've also clearly defined what your goal is for the grand slam right and um, you said you want to give it hell. So like should, when the g- shotgun goes off, you said actually you're not going to give it hell. Right. But you just, you just <laughs> redefine what giving it hell is. Right. Maybe giving it hell is being mindful for the first... You can always give it hell with 50 miles to go. Yep. At, what's the last okay. one, Vermont? Um, or, so but, the last one's Wasatch. Oh, I thought it was Vermont, Western, and... and uh, so like like a, in order, it's um, Western, Vermont... Leadville, Wasatch. Oh, it's four. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was three. Sorry. Yeah, no. Um, wow. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so whatever. On the last one, we're right. 50 miles to go. You yeah. still got 50 miles to go. You can still give it hell there. Yeah. So it's just redefining what giving it hell totally. is. Totally. Well, um, and giving it hell can be whatever the goal is for each race, right? Like yeah. giving it hell to me at Western is sub 24, right? Earning that silver buckle. That's, that's giving it hell this year. You know, yeah. like if it's another year and I have the opportunity to run Western States, it may be totally different, right? That may be the year I, I try to chase like sub 20. But this year, you know, the being what it is, given the conditions and everything that we're going to face, it, I, you know, I am solidly happy if, you know, if I finish, <laughs> you know, be it sub 30 or sub 24, either it's, you know, the, the goal is to make it to the next race. Okay. And the hard thing is not looking beyond it. And that's what I've been constantly saying is like, you know, I know that I have to focus on the race that I'm in. I can't look ahead and say, well, I need to save some for Vermont because if I, you know, if I try to save it, I may not make it to that finish line. I may have to use more than what I wanted to on that given day, just because of external factors, like you're talking about snow, heat, you know, those things could slow me down and I may have to use a lot more juice than what I anticipated. Mm -hmm. So I'll, I'll do that so I can finish. And then in the rears afterwards, I'll do whatever I have to, to get ready for Vermont. Cause that's, that'll be my next focus. Right. And then same thing for Vermont. I just put everything I have to, to get across that line. And then when I get across that line, it's again, the recovery to Leadville. Right. Mm-hmm. So taking it one at a time is the only way I can do it right now. You know, I, I can't look past. It's hard to look past it, you know, mm-hmm. cause it's such a, a, a big task, you know, and, and like, I value it. Like that's, you know, I, I value the fact that um, my family is invested in it, you know, like my friends, my community, like when people say nobody cares about your running, that they, that's such a bold lie. <laughs> like there are so many people that care about your running and are invested in your running. Like they remember what you did. They may not remember your time and that's fine. Like, yeah. but they remember what you did, you know? And so, you know, when people say that, that's, that's not true. <laughs> uh, your friends, your family, they remember, you know, like my parents, they're like, you remember that time that you ran around Mont Blanc, <laughs> you know, like, so there, there are people that care. So remember that too. <laughs> when you're out there, there are people that care and will remember your effort, be it a success or a failure. They remember that you were there and that you tried because it meant something to you, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's what we have to remind ourselves. It means something not only to us, but to our families, because they see how much of a value it is to you. That, that's amazing. I'm laughing a bit because sometimes I'll tell my runners, I say, nobody cares other than you. <laughs> but when I say that, I say that nobody cares about like the booty. Like, did you get the time? Mm. Did you, whatever they care about you, they care about right. the experience you're having. Yep. And so 
more evidence towards letting go of what that goal looks like mm. and like the journey on the way because your loved ones do care. Yeah. But like your family, if you DNF'd because it was a good idea, they probably even maybe even honor you or look up to you even more for making a wise decision. Yeah. Possibly, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, I just read the uh, the Cameron Haynes book um, mm. and uh, it was interesting. You know, it was, I mean, that guy is, you know, he's definitely a different breed like we were talking about earlier with like, David Goggins and such. But, you know, it, it was interesting because like midway through his book, you know, he, he states no one cares. You know, no one cares about what you do. And then at the end, he's saying, you know, well, I care. And but, and, you know, there's a lot of people that care what he does because of how many followers he has. You know, they 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 follow, you know, and that's that's what, you know, we create in community when you have training partners, when you have coaches, you know, like us. It's there's people that are invested in you and care about you and your performance. Um, I certainly care for sure about what my runners are doing. I certainly care about their performance. I care about their time. You know, like in the end, I want to make sure that they're not only having a good time, but they're they're checking off goals, be it a finish, be it a certain time, a Boston qualifier, whatever it is. You know, there there are aspects of it that I certainly care about. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's because you have some belief about what it means. You Other people may think that they may believe not just about running, just about life. Like, what we're just on a spinning rock, and when it's done, we're done. And they just <laughs> might think that nobody cares. Everybody is in their ego. Uh, and that's not true or false. It's just their belief. And so they're going to act or think differently than what you just described. So it says something about your beliefs. And the beliefs are really the, the key to unlocking everything, what life means to you, the action that you take. Sure. And um, we don't often get in we don't often define what our beliefs are and they change over time like every yeah. every year in january i take myself on a week personal retreat and uh, a week-long personal retreat and uh i go over what are my beliefs for this year what values do i need to have what away values what things will not not tolerate in my life etc but redefining them and i've got these posters that i have in my office and i've done this for five years now and looking at what my beliefs were four years ago versus now they change and if they change from year to year then they've probably changed a lot from who we were, you know, where we got our beliefs from, maybe probably as a kid or like as a young adult. And um, that's a message that I want to send out to people here is that your beliefs are not right. They're just your beliefs and you can change them. And when you change a belief, um, I am enough. I am loved. If you feel you're loved, your life is going to be completely different than everybody's selfish. And you may have the same job and the same everything, but life is just so different. So, um, choosing your beliefs. Yeah. yeah. Let me throw out a word to you and you go with the first thing that comes to mind. The word is yeah. validation. From who? Uh, external validation. So, well, that's what, that's what comes up. Yeah. Okay. So, external. Yeah. Um, that is, uh, the thief of joy. Validation would be the thief of joy. Uh, I think we can be validated by ourselves, by people outside of us or our creator. There's kind of three. So I guess you could decide if your creator is outside of you or inside of you. Um, but external validation, you don't know what people are going through, what kind of day they had. And, and we also don't know what their actions, we might think that we didn't get validation because of what they said, but what they said might mean something different to them. And we don't even know. It's kind of like this whole sloppy mess. And I think that if we, try to get our good feeling from what somebody else thinks or says or approves of, that is a 
slippery slope. Mm. I've got a, a uh, in my house, I have this little transition room between like the bedroom and bathroom and the kitchen. And on the wall, I have a mirror, like a full length body mirror. And then around it, I've got seven like um, mentors of mine, many of whom I've never met, just people who I look up to in history with a, a quote. And uh, one of these says, for the rest of your life, for God's sake, never get your good feelings based off of what, off of other people. What does it say? Um, never get your good emotions off of other people. There's more to the quote. That's why I'm trying to zoom in on it in my head right here. But um, your good feelings should be self-generated. They can be self-generated. Mm-hmm. And the best example of this that I've ever heard is uh, Viktor Frankl, mm-hmm. Man's Search for Meaning, yep. uh, who essentially was had like the worst ex- experience that we could probably imagine in Auschwitz, in concentration camp, and right. the atrocities that he saw. And he was able to cultivate... Um, I, I dare, I, I don't know if I want to use the word joy, but like deep meaning and forgiveness for the, the soldiers in there. Um, because the one thing that they couldn't take from him was his ability to, like he wasn't getting validation from them. Mm-hmm. And if he were trying to, he'd have been a goner, according to him. And so his ability to get his validation from himself, he can still lead a good life. He chooses what this means. That's what he says got him to survive and then become even more after he got out. So I think validation will... uh... Look, the ego wants it. It feels good to be validated. It's like a nice little pat on the head. And uh, I think we should all have that in our life. I think it's important. But just not letting it define your fulfillment and your success. It's more intrinsic motivation and finding your intrinsic motivation, would you say? Val- um, can you say that another way? So um, if we go into um, anything, let's say we go into our race, right? We're not, if we're not looking for external validation as the outcome, mm-hmm. we have intrinsic motivation to maybe validate our outcome. Mm-hmm. So in other words, having that that ability to look inward and find something that motivates you internally is going to be of greater value. Of course. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, There's one client who I worked with uh, and we aborted uh, a couple of months in because she was a really excellent ultra mountain biker. Mm -hmm. She loved mountain biking. She was very good at it. Uh, She was ranked nationally and she loved doing it. And her peer group, she also ran kind of just as a hobby. She didn't really love running, but she wasn't that good of a runner, at least compared with her biking. So she thought, and, uh, her friends were asking her like, shouldn't you be able to, you're so good. You're like ranked one or two in the, in the country in this event. Shouldn't you be able to like qualify for Boston? I'm not sure exactly what they said, but that's what she tells me. Um, but she felt a pressure on herself that she should be able to at least get a Boston qualifier if she's so good at endurance sports. And so she started uh, moving towards that goal and training for it, but that was for an external validation. She didn't care about running. And we had our last call that we had together. um, I recommended to her that she stop running. I said, just bike. 
you have joy and passion, you can make influence there. Let the running go. Because, because exactly as you say, that was the running was for extrinsic validation and the biking, she had pleasure from it. It was intrinsic. Mm -hmm. Uh, as far as I know, that's exactly what she's done. She, she doesn't have her BQ and I don't think she ever will, but who cares? (laughs) She also doesn't have, you know, some other things she doesn't care about. Right. Yeah. Um, when someone comes to you for, for coaching purposes, um, talk to me about when do you discuss with them? Maybe coaching isn't right for them. How do you kind of interpret it and, you know, kind of mm-hmm. give them that, that conversation or how do you know maybe coaching isn't right for you? What, what are some signs? Yep. Well, by the time I get on the phone with anybody, you can't go to my website and book a call. It's not possible. You have to go through some steps where you're going to get some information that's really going to show if we're a good fit or not. Mm-hmm. So people, when they get on the phone, we're already mostly a good fit. And there's kind of two phases to this. I have uh, a couple of screens that that filter. Um, one of them would be, as we talked about on this uh, podcast here, is that if you have a goal that you believe you can do and you believe your current plan will get you there, then why are we on the phone? And if they can't give me... Most of the time, that's not the case, but like one out of 20 or so, that is the case. And if sometimes they just don't need coaching, I say, just go do it. But when we get to the end of, of everything, I, ask, I normally ask three questions because I, I believe that there are at least three. I've identified three things that a coach can't do for you. And even if you have the best coach in the world, um, these are your responsibility. And the first one is that you are resourceful. Um, I'll just say what they are and then we can review them if you want. The, uh, you have to be resourceful, coachable, and decisive. And I think they're in that order. Decisive is the most important thing. If you don't decide that now is the time that you're going to make a change, then you're not going to do it. We all, you know, I want to write a novel one day, says most people. I want to travel to Greece one day, say a lot. Of, like we have these things, but until you schedule it, book the plane ticket, or at least write it down in your calendar that you're going to research plane tickets. Until there's new action, you haven't truly decided. Um, so a real decision is measured by the fact that you've taken a new action. Without a new action, you haven't truly decided. And um, so those are the three things. If they're not fully committed to all three of those, I don't believe that I can help them. And so I don't make them any kind of offer. I'll say, do this free thing or take this or stay in touch with me here or find somebody else. But those are the three. All right. We'll, and, go, we'll go backwards from okay. decisive. <laughs> coachable is the one in the middle. Yep. Uh, and I define coachable not as I say you do. I call that obedient. Like in the military, you get an order, you better do it. So it's a good idea if people do the training that you set up, get on the calls that you've scheduled, do the, I have like an online course as well. So take the course, do the homework, do those things. Those are important. But I define coachable as being open to a new way of approaching your training. The way that I do it is there's two new thing, things that are mostly new to people. One is the structure of training, letting go of doing having every week looking the same and trying to stack on more like progressive overload. Let's build, go back and let's build a foundation. But most, I call that about 20%. I believe that 80%, I want people to be open to the idea of working on themselves first, why they're doing this, becoming the kind of person who naturally has the thing. That is where the work is done. So I call that coachable. Are you open to this? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then before that is resourceful. Right. So things are going to get hard. Um, you might not have money. You might not have energy. You might not have time. If you work a lot and have a family, you might not have equipment, a treadmill, um, kettlebells, whatever it is. And that's okay. You don't need a thing. 
but you need to be the kind of person who will find a way. And uh, there's so many examples of this that are just so glaringly, they're so amazing. They're beautiful. Um, I'm reminded of a couple of my, my clients, but I, I want to talk about someone who maybe listeners know more as Emil Zatopek. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he was, he was essentially many times confined physically. Like he wasn't able to leave to train and, um, and in Czechoslovakia at the time there was like tons of snow and he would, he would do crazy things like, um, carry his wife on his back and run in place and put on big snow boots and just go run on the track. He couldn't leave the compound. And there was like a lot of pressure on him that he might even be killed if he doesn't maintain his world-class status. Um, but he didn't have many resources, even in the military. He didn't, his food rations were not enough. He went, sometimes he went days without food or had one meal a day, but he is an Olympic distance runner in the 10,000 and the 5,000. He needs more calories, but he did it anyway. So this guy was resourceful and he made it happen regardless of, um, being held back and oppressed and confined and underfed (laughs) and held at gunpoint. Right. Um, so those three things, nobody can give you. And if someone has all three, I actually guarantee them that they will. I say, that's, that's it. If you're, if you have all three and now is the time, not now is the time to try. Like, there's no try. Only do Skywalker, <laughs> right? Uh, if you decide, if you really decide and a real decision means that you take a new action, if you really decide, then you can't fail. Right on. That's, that's great. Dang. <laughs> that's fantastic. <laughs> How have you applied, um, a lot of this to your own running? And I, like, because I see, um, Andrew can talk a little bit about his um, his background because he at times will be training for a marathon and at times he trains for something like Tahoe 200. So mm-hmm. um, you know, talk about the diversity and what that brings to your running. <clears throat> Good question. Um, I like lots of distances. Uh, I've done a 50K on, in the last year. I've done a 50K on the road that was Pancake Flat um, and Tahoe 200. Maybe some shorter. I don't think, I, I don't know if I've done any shorter races this past year, but I think about, I like to have something on the calendar as I think a lot of runners can relate to this, something big that's coming. And it doesn't matter how far away it is. I found out I was in, got into Tahoe like almost a year before getting in and that was enough. And then I viewed everything else as a stepping stone to it. So those were kind of B races and even C races. And it didn't really matter how I did there. I wanted to get the exposure Mm -hmm. and I also didn't want to over race. So, um, to me at this point in my running, it's really less about peaking for a certain event, unless it's those big events like the 200. Yeah. Um, I've got Havelina, 100 this year in like four and a half months. I want to peak for that. Um, but everything else I view it as just integrated to part of my life. And I allow my training to be very flexible to the point that sometimes it could be better. And sometimes it's like really good and it, it doesn't matter because I don't really care what, um, what other people think of it. (laughs) I care what my girlfriend thinks of it. She is very, she supports me very well. Um, well, when you're like, let's go back when you were, when you were on ultra sign up and you're looking at Tahoe 200, what was your thought process? Like, what, what well, were you thinking? What was, why did you want to sign up for Tahoe 200? What made you click that button? <laughs> yeah. 
That was a good one. I didn't think I would get in. Okay. But I thought that I'm, I want to do this at some point in my life. Okay. So I better start trying now. S- specifically that race. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay. I found out about 200s five or six years ago and I looked at some and I remember that one that went around the lake and I asked my friend if he would run it with me and he said, no, cause there's 20 miles between aid stations and that's too far. And I thought, yeah, but that sounds awesome. It's more of like an adventure. So I knew I wanted to do that one at okay. some point. Yeah. And I thought that they were very difficult to get into like with, so I got in the lottery. I wasn't even, didn't think I'd get in. Um, and my belief was just that if I get in, it's supposed to happen. It's supposed to be. Sure. Yay. And if I don't, it wasn't supposed to happen. Yeah. No problem. So I just kind of let it be what it will be signed up. And if I get in great and I got that email in October, like first week of October, the year before. And, uh, I celebrated, uh, called my girlfriend, told her right away and then went out for a run. Like <laughs> it, it starts now. You know? <laughs> so for me, it was just knowing that that's one of the big things I want to do in my life. I want to, I want to do more now, but I knew I wanted to do that race. Yeah. So better. And that was based on the destination, the challenge. Okay. The experience. Um, I'd only run 100 miler before and it was years before it was Pinhoti. Pinhoti. You were there. Yeah. Right. Uh, and I hadn't really had a big race that I really cared about since then. Yeah. Kinda, but nothing that really fired me up. Yeah. And when I say fire me up, it's like, I want something that'll challenge me to have to change who I am in order to do it. And a 50 mile, maybe if it was a really difficult course, I didn't think that a 50 or a hundred miler was really going to change who I was. It was, I was just going to race them as the person I am, yeah. but a 200 is going to change how I approach the training. Yep. And, and it did like in the race, there were a couple moments in there that were like life changing that wouldn't have happened. I don't believe even in the most difficult hundred. Um, I knew I wanted that. And that's why, uh, it was on my radar. <laughs> I hadn't had that. I, I was craving it. I think for maybe five years before that, my running was kind of like, if I don't do something like that, it, my running is going to be so, so for the rest of my life. Let's level Challenge up yourself. Yeah. 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 Right on. How about you for the 200? Cause you did Bigfoot. Yeah. Um, so when I, when I got done with hard rock, um, I was, um, I wouldn't say I had like the post ultra blues. Like I wasn't quite like, Oh, this is, you know, like the worst, like, you know, I don't don't know what to do with myself now. I was looking for that next. What's my next, you know, like that's where I was like, what will challenge me? And, um, you know, I I kind of like you, I kind of let things motivate me, right? Like I'll see something and that sparks it. And I'm like, that's it. Like, that's what's going to excite me. And, you know, Beth and I were having a conversation and, um, I said, you know, I've never really ran this Pacific Northwest. I would love to do a race in the Pacific Northwest and experience the Pacific Northwest. And the day after I said that to Beth in my email, I got the registration is opening for the Bigfoot 200. <laughs> and I was like, that's it, <laughs> you know, and it just, it was just fortuitous, you know, it just kind of popped into my inbox and I was like, you know, that's what I want. And so, you know, as soon as it opened, um, you know, as you said, I didn't know if I get into the lottery. Um, you know, most people know I didn't get into the lottery and they didn't post the wait list. So I just thought, you know, well, not this year, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to run, you know, a few weeks later they posted the wait list and I was number two <laughs> and I was like, Oh, I'll probably get in. <laughs> so, um, and then as you know, fate would have it, um, Davey Rowe, who's, um, you know, he's, he's an awesome guy and a good friend. He, uh, he dropped to do hellbender <laughs> and I got his spot. <laughs> so it was just one of those, it, everything lined. Mm-hmm. And I, I was, you know, it just excited me. 
Um, I, I wanted a new challenge. You know, I wanted to do a new distance. I wanted to see the Pacific Northwest. Um, so it, it was just like everything kind of just was like, yeah, this is it. You know, yeah. everything pointed to, yeah, you know, this is going to be the challenge. And you know, like you said, it, it, it changed how I was going to train. Um, I was doing um, a coaching certification at the time. And in that, cer- that certification, we had to do a case study and how we would train somebody using linear principles. And so I did myself as an N of one. They, they didn't have many people that did ultra and a lot of the stuff that they were teaching through Lydiard. I, you know, I talked to them. I was like, well, how would we apply this to ultra running? You know, and it, it was an interesting conversation because I think I started th- making them think otherwise about how we would apply it to ultra. Um, and we've had conversations since, and it, it was really interesting to, to go through the whole training, you know, as a, as doing it with Lydiard. And, you know, give them, here's what, here's what the end result was and, and talk about, you know, how it went and all that stuff. Of course, I got COVID like four weeks before the race <laughs> and that, that, that put like a little twist on things. But, um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was one of those. Yeah. I just felt like it called to me. Yeah. It called to you. Yep. So <clears throat> that was your emotion mm-hmm. and you listened to it. It was like the flag post on the way. Yep. And you took action. So I think that it's, it's like serendipitous is maybe the right yep. word. Yep. And I think these things are happening all the time if you know what you want. Yep. And then it's like magic how these things, miracle, miraculous is probably a better term. Um, however, th- things just work out. But until you make that decision, until you said, you said it speaks to you and you said, that's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Okay, now you've made a decision and it kind of just unfolds. Right. But until that decision is made, um, who knows? Maybe that email wouldn't have come through. That sounds a little like spirity, hocus pocusy, but it seems like that. But what's probably more accurate is to say, even if the email had come through, it might've been like in your spam box or you might've just glazed over or not seen it because you hadn't made the decision. Um, and that's, I think the biggest thing that, uh, Napole- Napoleon Hill talks about this, right? He says that, um, I think he says 98% and this guy knows, okay. He was hired by, uh, Andrew Carnegie back in the thirties to interview like the most hundred successful people in the country, uh, and like residents with them for like half a year each or something like that. And, uh, and he says the difference between these people and everybody else is that they simply decide what they want. Now there are other steps too. He calls it the laws of success, but the first law of success is know what you want, be decisive. And, um, yeah. And then like the, it's like magic how it just unfolds after that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I'm curious, uh, wh- have you noticed anything like that with Western States? I noticed you had, is that a Western States video yeah. right there? Yep. So, um, are things like this kind of happening with Western States? Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's, I mean, podcasts keep popping up. Um, and then, you know, it's, I mean, you know, it's, it's more direct, but people are, they're sending me, you know, here's a, here's a podcast I think you should listen to, or here's an article that would help, you know, but a lot of stuff is kind of just popping up informationally, you know, like, um, uh, just, it's, it's kind of interesting to watch and, and see, you know, and just try to try to take in as much as I can as well beforehand, you know, and, and get, you know, not get too excited by it. Um, I think that's the hardest part about it is keeping emotions in check. Uh, I was discussing with actually my coach just before you and I met and he said, you know, be excited, but don't let that become nervousness and overtake that emotion and cause too much anxiety. 
which you know is is something that I always talk to with because when we change from excitement to being nervous, we start to try to anticipate too much and we try to control too many variables that may be beyond our control uh, and start worrying about you know variables that maybe are outside of our our realm of control and so I like to try to stay present and excited about the event and you know nervousness is part of it there's no way around it you're going to get some butterflies but at the same time you know i I like to try to control my vocabulary as to the way i'm portraying and visualizing and talking about the event i don't like to say i'm nervous i like to say i'm excited yes (laughs) Um, and that's something that i always talk about with my my athletes but oh man you're so good at this how'd you get so good at this it's amazing um that's the uh, the reframe. If if you're nervous, because the physiologically being nervous and being excited are kind of the same thing, mm-hmm. right? Right. What's the difference? It's the one you choose to focus on. Right. And um, there, I think there are three ways to change how you feel, and the most subtle one. So uh, the three of them are change what you're doing with your body. You cower in the corner versus like jump for joy. You're going to feel differently in your mm-hmm. body. Um, one of them is what do you focus on? You focus on like dead puppies. You feel bad. So miles. Um, <laughs> and you focus on whatever your loved ones. You feel good. What you focus on can change how you feel. But the most subtle one is the language that you use. And because uh, the language means the meaning, it, it like it changes the meaning of something. If uh, so, I'm nervous versus I'm excited. It literally changes how you feel. It's like a hack that you can use if you know yourself right. well enough. Um, yep. <laughs> so what other, I'm, I'm curious to go deeper onto those three things. It's like your, your words, your focus, and your physiology. When you say, do you do anything else to change how you feel in the moment where you might feel a little bit nervous and you say, I'm excited? Do you speak it with like a different tone or do you maybe hold your body in a diff- different way or focus on something different? Like what is it? In other words, yeah, what does it so, feel like to be right? So, um, usually, I have a visual image um, when I start to think about it. As I I start to visualize because I've watched so many videos and I've been out to Auburn and you know I've seen the track, but I start to visualize you know pieces of the course and how I'm going to you know feel and look. Um, on those those portions of the course, um, and that's usually what creates the excitement. Is that I am going to set foot <laughs> on those portions of the course. So instead of being nervous about it, I get excited to experience these things that I've been visualizing for a long time. So it's been something that I guess I mentally trained myself to say, like, okay, you know, um, when I get to to this point. Like this is going to be, you know, the canyons, for instance, like this is where the heat's going to have, it's, it's going to be the highest temperatures of the day, right? Like, what am I going to do during those times? How am I going to, to feel right? Like, and I could get nervous. It's like at hard rock, right? Like I can honestly say that I was, I was nervous about 14,000 feet. That's a legitimate thing to be nervous about, (laughs) right? Like when you are running a hundred mile race to go to 14,000 feet, there are legitimate concerns, right? Like you can be a little bit nervous about 14,000 feet, but you know, how do you, how do you work your way around that? You say, okay, you know, I'm going to slow myself down, right? I'm going to control the controllables, which is my pace, right? My effort. 
and I'm going to work my way through it. If I need to stop and just pause and catch my breath, let my heart rate go down, that's what I need to do. Same thing in the heat, in the canyons. If I need to slow down because it's so hot, that's what I need to do, right? I, I need to be okay with that, you know, and know that my race is going to be better off because of it, because I took the moment to say and live in that, that piece right there and say, at this moment, this is what I have to do in order to finish. So, you know, again, when I would, you know, I'd wake up, I would wake up like from a dream and being on top of handies and just, you know, be suffering, you know, and I was like, I'd wake up with a cold sweat, right? And then I'd say, all right, yeah, it's it's coming, right? Like, I know it, there's no way around it. <laughs> I'm gonna go up there. But again, like, I have to take it step by step, you know, and then I even talked to a friend. And, you know, I said, this is my plan. And, you know, his plan was something totally different. And I said, you know, I hope that works out for you. <laughs> but, you know, I'm gonna stick to this because I think it's realistic. And I think I can I can control these variables enough that this is going to be manageable for me to finish, you know? So, um, being realistic, they always talk about when you create your goals, make them realistic. Right. And that's, that was a portion of it was just making sure that what I was going to be doing was realistic for a, the fitness I had and b, you know, achieving my goal. <laughs> okay. Wow. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I'd like to react to uh, um, uh, three things I think that I heard sure. in this story. Um, one is that when you visualize, you have an emotion attached to it. Mm -hmm. It's not like a movie playing in your head. It's you're there feeling the emotion that you do when you're there. Yes. And I think that's a key difference. That's a difference between an affirmation and an incantation. Uh, like an affirmation, I am beautiful, I am <laughs> whatever. Sure. You can say it a thousand times. <laughs> And I believe that if you don't have the emotion that goes with it, it's not going to do squat. Right. Um, so tying the emotion, amazing how like emotion is so a critical role in all, every step of this way. That's why I call it the, the flag post along the way. <laughs> um, so you're attaching the emotion to the visualization and I think that's super effective. It also sounds like you spent quite a bit of time. You're dreaming about it, waking up <laughs> in a cold sweat. So like, um, you're not, I'm reminded of Alex Honnold listening mm -hmm. to that when he, you know, did the L cap. Yeah. He rehearsed every, every when, step of it. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a climber, but I thought he was familiar with it, but just like climbed it, whatever. Nope. Every single move. It's like a yeah. martial arts pattern or, a, yeah. you know, choreographed to dance. Um, so he re rehearses again in his head again and again, and he knew every single step and how he was going to feel. And he got himself to feel confident. So guess what the result was? Right. I mean, yep. amazing. Yeah. Um, and by the way, look at the manifestation of that. He also, like skyrocketed to fame and all, all these books. Everybody knows who he is now yep. because of that emotional work in the visualization, not because he climbed Al Cap. Yeah, sort of. But what came before Al Cap? It was the emotional work that he did. Um, and I think there's another reframe for nervous that you said you can turn nervous into excited. And another, sometimes I find that it, I can't always do that. Sometimes I just am nervous about something. Yeah. And there's another reframe that I like to use that I use it with my clients as well, that if you're nervous, it means it's important. Right. And so thank goodness I'm nervous because I'm here to do important things. Yes. Right. And then it's okay to just be nervous and not try to wish it away or yeah. medicate yourself or whatever. Right. Just like, <laughs> just be there. And your leg could be like shaking or whatever. And ah, thank God. Yeah. Um, but I, you yeah. know, it, it, when you, when you look at something, I think there's also a piece of it 
that that nervousness is also a bit of maybe if you look at it as a challenge, you know, um, because like I said, you know, going up handies, like it turned into a challenge, right? Like, um, I knew that climb was going to be tough. I knew it was going to be slow. Um, and so it, I accepted it as a challenge, you know, challenge accepted. Let's do this. You know? So when I got to the aid station, I knew right where I was and what I was about to do there right after that aid station, you begin your ascent up handies and you're, you're just waiting for it. Uh, you know, like I, that was the moment that I was been waiting for, for, you know, four months when I knew I got in, I turned a corner and I could see, you know, I could see the summit, uh, you know, up ahead of me. And I was, I was like, there it is. Like, you know, one step at a time. That's, that's, so it's just allowing yourself that opportunity, I guess, you know, instead of like creating that negative space in your head and not even allowing yourself to accept that challenge, you know, like again, visualizing and with the emotion that this is a challenge and I'm accepting it. Like I want to get to the top of that summit and cause that's where the rest of my race goes, right? Like I got to get over this. So instead of like that, you know, that negative anticipation, I turned it into something that was positive because I'm, I, now I have a new challenge. It's not just finishing hard rock. It's, it became my race really starts when I get over handies because I knew on the backside, as soon as I descended, I picked up my pacer, right? I was like, you know, then I'm, I'm with friends, you know, like, I'm going down to a crude aid station. I'll see my family. And so I was like, this is, this is, it's, it's something to look forward to, right? I had something to look forward to on the other side. All I had to do was get up and over. And how would I do that? You know? Mm -hmm. so. <clears throat> so I wonder that uh, runners who were around you at that moment, um, they may or may not remember, but like if we could teleport and go back there, uh, I'm wondering what you're, what you were saying, even to other runners around you out yeah. loud. I don't know what you were saying, but I know what you weren't saying. And it wasn't the kind of stuff that you often hear on trails with like, oh, geez, this sucks or <laughs> right. all that negative stuff that like comes up. And yeah. I think people are often saying it jokingly and, uh, but it's still a window into how they feel. Yeah. And I could say without being there, I could, I would wager a <laughs> basically anything that that was not what you were saying no the funny thing was i listened to michael wardian uh -huh. um he was on a podcast talking about the hard rock experience and i passed michael and on the podcast he was like people were stepping on me not even you know checking on me and i, I like i i got upset because i stopped and I, I i said michael like what do you i know michael so i said what do you need man what like how can i help you do you need some help do you, can i help you you know just stay with you and he's like, no, man, I'm okay. You know, you just keep going. Uh, but, you know, like, so, and my friend that I was talking about with the plan earlier, uh, unfortunately, that's where I saw him. <laughs> uh, he had gone out too hard, unfortunately. Um, and I stopped. And again, I said, do you want me to walk in with you to the next aid station just to make sure you get there? And he's like, no, man, like, you know, I'll, I'll get there. It's going to be slower than I anticipated. But, you know, I appreciate it. I don't want to ruin your race. So, I mean, like, it was um, in the process of, going up this thing i think i almost got distracted by everybody else and checking in <laughs> on everybody else because before i knew it you know from that time where i said i saw the summit to the summit there was only maybe two times where i checked in mentally and that was the two times that i checked on my friend and michael wardian and then the next thing i knew i was on the summit <laughs>
Yeah, it sounds like there's an element of contribution to right. this. It's not yep. about you. You focus on your race, but you're, it's not in a vacuum. It's not a time trial, right? Right. And uh, I think that's really powerful as well. There, there seem to be two kind of emotional needs that um, we have a lot of emotional needs, right? But a lot of them are just to keep a roof over our head and make sure that we have a life of meaning and all these things. But like, if you had everything that you could ever dream of, whatever that is, just like everything, then, then what? And I think that there, there are two things. One of them would be, we'd want to continue to grow. And the other one is just like you said, contribute. And those are the emotions that will unlock a fulfillment, not a success. Uh, because if you, if one of those people needed your help and you just like ran over them to, <laughs> to save the extra three seconds across the time, you have maybe more success, but less fulfillment. Uh, and when we flip that and focus on the fulfillment and that comes from contribution, contribution, contribution. Right. Um, and let's not forget to, we can contribute to ourselves, but to others and the world, like whatever, totally. however you want to do that. Yep. But, um, it's nice. I like hearing, <laughs> uh, I respect hearing that, like that's your mindset in the race. And, um, that's probably where the level of fulfillment has come from. Yeah. You know? Well, and you know, to finish the story, Michael did beat me. <laughs> so he did come back. <laughs> yeah. And my friend did finish. Um, he, you know, it, it did take him a lot longer than he anticipated, but he did finish. <laughs> so kudos to him. Yeah. <laughs> and the fact that you laughed that he beat you like shows that it wasn't about you. No, no it never no. was. Otherwise <laughs> no. you'd be like, and then he beat me. Uh, no, know? no, of course. But that's not even, it's yeah. like absurd to even hear us like say that because when we say it out loud, it sounds so ridiculous because people don't want that. They want the fulfillment. Um, and so like, there's nothing else to say on it. Just, uh, I just want to acknowledge that. <laughs> yeah. No, I, you know, the, the biggest fulfillment I think was the experience itself. Yeah. You know, that, that's, um, and that's, that's what I look at of these races, you know, like, uh, I mean, you know, Bigfoot, uh, like the fulfillment of finishing, you know, coming around the track with my kids, my wife, yeah, yeah it's, you know, there's just like, that's a wonderful feeling, you know, to experience this with ones you love. It's just, you know, I, I'm so honored that they can be a part of it, you know, and, mm -hmm. and want to be a part of it, <laughs> you know, cause there's, there's some families that it's, you know, it's, it's tough, you know, it's tough to, to have everybody on board, right. And everybody behind your, uh, your goal, right. Cause mm -hmm. they may not understand it. And I think that's something that's to be communicated, you know, like what, why are you doing this? Like, you know, and how can they be a part of it? And getting them to to be part of that commitment, you know, like I mean, when we get finished, Amber and I are going to the gym so I can do my my treadmill hike in the sauna, you know. So she goes and and you know she she'll exercise and do her thing, but getting them involved into whatever capacity they want to be involved, I think it's you know such a great piece of it too. Uh, amazing, yeah. So that's the uh, the living the life that's that already where you naturally have the things because you've like just going to the most subtle level, um, you know, the way that you are with your kids and with your wife, uh, like that kind, that version of Aaron, who he is naturally has the family who supports him. And that makes the races that much. I mean, like doable is maybe the right answer. Can you finish a 200 without someone who loves you there? I don't know. I don't think I could have, I, I would have been tough. <laughs> so, so once again, it's not about the training. It never was. It's like, you're the kind of person who inspires others and gives love and, also allows yourself to receive love um, and you don't pinch yourself off to that. So 
hell yeah, man. That, <laughs> it's, it's, it's inspiring because it goes uh, really deep. I, I, I think a lot of runners don't have crews with them and they don't have their wife or kids with them. Um, and sometimes for logistical reasons, but sometimes cause their partner just like doesn't care and Hey, whatever to each their own. But, um, how good does it feel like when you can experience it together? Totally. And, and experiencing it with people that mean something to you, I think is probably the best experience. Like, you know, it's, it's, um, it's great when you have friends, family, uh, that surrounds you, you know, like Western States is one of those ones where you can just recruit a, a pacer, right? Somebody that you don't know. Um, you know, Umstead did it. And, uh, my first experience with a hundred miler was pacing at Umstead. And, um, I, I didn't, I didn't know these runners. I was just a random pacer, but I experienced something with them, you know, um, which is awesome. And, they had their family at the finish, but here I am this, you know, this random person and, and trying to help them achieve their, their goal, which this woman that, you know, that I finished with was, a uh, she's going for sub 24. Um, you know, and you know, it didn't, I wouldn't say it detracted from her experience. You know, she did it. She ran 23 hours, 57 minutes and 49 seconds or something crazy like that. But, you know, to, to, I can imagine, you know, had it been, somebody she knew like how much you know like you know who am i she was just like gave me a high five and you know off she went you know so having you know i think having that experience with ones that you love it's just i don't know i think it enhances the experience so much more <clears throat> absolutely yeah um i don't think that the the tahoe 200 i don't think i don't know you never know um, it, I probably would have been able to finish it. I don't know, but it wouldn't have had meaning. I ran across the finish line with my pacers and, uh, and my crew mm -hmm. as well. And if you can't share it, <laughs> then it kind of like doesn't. Right. I, I mean, I don't know. Do I, do I fully believe that? Because there's something about being a long distance runner that really is like the isolation of it. Cause yeah. even when the family is there, sure. but that's all it takes is like it, just that one touch point, knowing that they're there and you care about them and they care yeah. about you. Yeah. Like just knowing it's there, even if they're not there or right. even if 98 hours of it, they're not there and yeah. one hour of it, they are. Yeah. Um, oh, totally. So I, tap, I mean, tapping into love, right? Yeah. That would be the driving oh, force here. Yeah. I mean, I've run a hundred miler solo, solo, no, no pacers, yeah. but I've had them, my family there as crew support. Right. Mm -hmm. So I knew I'd see them at various points, which <laughs> obviously it motivated me. You know, it inspired me to get to the next point because I would see them, right? Mm -hmm. Like I knew I had to get to those points. But, you know, it's, it, and like I said, there are times where being alone is okay, you know? And, and but, you know, I, I do think experiencing it with ones you love enhances it. And not, it's not for everybody. You know, I, I met a Marine that was doing Bigfoot and he was doing the whole thing solo. No crew, no mm -hmm. pacers, nothing. You know, that's, but that's, that's his experience. That's how he chose right. to do it, you know? doesn't make it easier um maybe you know to have that that person with you and but i like i don't know i guess it's just how you interpret it what what's right. your you know what's your goal like because some people may want to say like my goal is to do it independently and that's an awesome goal like i i respect that for sure yeah you know that's that's a <laughs> that's a tough way to do it <laughs> yeah and that's maybe why they'd want to do it that way right because the goal is to be tough and, and grow yeah. in that way. So just knowing like, that would be someone who's really clear in yes. knowing what they want. Exactly. 
and okay with <laughs> with that. Yeah, yeah. I, it's I know I am I'm more successful when I have others around me mm-hmm. that I you know know and love. You know, like I'm that's that's where I thrive. So knowing yourself, I guess, is the message here. Know yourself. And <laughs> yeah. Will your family be at all four hundreds? Unfortunately, no. Um, the kids start school early this year. Um, so they will not be at Leadville or Wasatch, which kind of breaks my heart. Um, but um, Beth is hoping to make it to Leadville, but we're not sure. Um, she won't make it to Wasatch, which like it's that's a crusher because it's like the the finale, you know. Mm-hmm. Like I want them there for that, but I'm already you know mentally preparing for that, you know, knowing that they won't be there. But I'm lining up you know crew that you know will will support me and and you know and and you know hopefully because um, they they have not been let's see they have only not made one of my hundreds um that i finished um but i had like i had scott and joe quinlan and clay you know like and and patrick regan they were all there you know to support me for that one wow. so it was i still had a great crew you know i had people that i cared about and i had fun running with you know so mm-hmm. um you know, surround, like I said, surrounding myself with that and, you know, mentally preparing myself for, for having that different roles, you know, cause that's not what I'm used to obviously, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just that, that mental preparedness, I think, because, uh, if you don't think about that, you know, if you don't think about that change, then it's, you know, I don't know, leaving yourself unprepared in that way. I think that's, you know, that could be a, a mistake. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. A mistake that could maybe like cost you a race or something. So the preparation that there's another great example of like the preparation being the internal state that you cultivate, yep. not the training, right? At all, yeah. Like at all, like the training almost different. Ma- that's something that's amazing about the the ultras is like you can't fake a sub sixteen five k. You gotta be fast, right? But you can like not you know fake. I put it in air quotes a uh, hundred mile finish. If there's a generous cutoff time, you can will yourself there. Um, and just go to those, those places that yeah. are independent of your conditioning, no training at all. I think a lot of people could do a hundred miler if they simply decided to, and just like, didn't give up. Yeah. Well, I think mental fortitude, it can take you a long way, you know, um, with the right idea of pacing, you know, like, <laughs> I think that's the big thing, right? Is that like, of course. <laughs> yeah, because when we talk about conditioning, you know, the, I think that's what people misinterpret is that, you know, maybe they don't have the conditioning, but they don't change the game plan, <laughs> you know, and that's what that's what messes them up because they, you know, they go into it like Bigfoot, for instance, when COVID hit me, I knew I had to back off. Like I was like, all right, you know, I have to reassess. I'm not where I, you know, I want to be. It hit, like, it hit me for like two weeks straight. I was just drained, you know? So I had to go back to my goals and say, okay, that's not realistic. Going back to what we were talking about earlier, you know, I need to change that. Uh, Cause you know, I'm going to set myself up for failure. If I tried to do that a goal, mm-hmm. I need to, you know, reassess and make sure that what I'm going to go for is, you know, provides me a higher percentage of success. Mm-hmm. So I, I see runners that, you know, they, they may take, it, it may be, you know, a similar situation and went, you know, in training, something hit them, but then they, they still try to race it as if it didn't hit them. Mm -hmm. And that's where I see failure. Yeah, absolutely. With, um, with the pacing of like trying to keep up with the goal that you think you should have. Right. 
Uh, I think it takes a bit of humility in an ultra. I've been able to, I think a lot of runners are to just let go and being it in the back of the pack in an ultra, like doesn't matter. It doesn't really mean anything until the end anyway. Plus those things they're they seem to be less of a race for most people. And it's like an adventure. Yeah. Um, but there's this guy that I met at Tahoe. Uh, his name is Brian Estes. Uh, what a guy we were running together 20, 30 miles in. And, um, we were a mid pack or back of the pack. And, uh, he ended up finishing seventh and uh, finishing like 20, 24 hours or so ahead of me. Uh, but we were together at, at like 30 miles in. And I thought that I was pacing conservative. And, uh, but I was not. But the, the point of this is like he told me in that time, he told me he had done Bigfoot the year before. And he told me that he went through 50 miles in dead last. But he finished fourth. <laughs> and he walked the entire 24 hours, wow. uh, the first 24 hours and then picked it up. And that takes, uh, in most races, I think that takes some humility. Um, I know it does because we see this when the ego is like really that when we're all with our peers, like in, in middle school and high school track, how many runners go out way too fast. And, uh, it, it takes maturity to kind of just be at the back and let everybody go. And, uh, it's hard to do because mm. even if we say that we'll do it, how many times do, do we even, like even myself, um, do we say we're going to go out conservative and then it kind of turns into you still go out too fast. It still just happens again and yeah. again. And you can be go, going out too fast, like in the process of doing it and, and know that you are and still somehow keep doing it. It's like this crazy, this crazy thing. Yeah. Um, nice. So the, the game plan, adapting to the game plan yeah. is like critical. And that means letting go of the ego, but also that goal. Like if the goal was the time on the clock, you can't let go of the pace because then you fail. Right. We can't fail. Can we? So knowing what the goal is and it's never the time on the clock. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, when it does get hard, understanding that, you know, you can, you can keep moving forward, maybe not at the same, you know, pace that you were, (laughs) but that, you know, when it, when times get tough, you know, quitting is not necessarily, the best option like you know oftentimes i'll get a call <laughs> 2 a.m you know oh man it's just it's so hard right now it's the middle of the night i'm so tired uh, and i'll say okay well, what are you thinking right now like uh, you know i think i'm just going to drop at the next aid station i'm okay okay and if you did that if you went home and you got a night's sleep and you woke up tomorrow morning how are you going to feel oh man i'd be pissed at myself do you want to be pissed at yourself? No, I don't want to be pissed at myself. <laughs> I suggest you keep going. Yeah. You get into that aid station, you take care of your business, reset, you know, lose that negative mindset. Just whatever you have to do, even if it's just taking five more minutes, get some food in you. I mean, if you have the time, maybe take a little nap, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. reset however you need to do that and keep moving forward because you don't want to wake up and be mad at yourself. You know, like yeah. oftentimes like, you know, people are like, I'm not going to drop unless I'm injured. Well, okay. You know, that's, that's one way to look at it. But like, you know, the reality is that sometimes it, it there is, you know, there is a time where, you know, it, it is okay to drop, but oftentimes if you really process it and that's, that's the tough thing in the moment is to allow yourself to process, how is that outcome going to make you feel? The reality is you'll get the answer and you know, you're going to say, okay, yeah, I, I, I need to keep going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no reaction to that. I, I agree with that. 
uh, for sure. And that's one of the beautiful things about the really long, like the, the longer the race gets, you really can like in a 200 miler or even in a 100 miler, you could stop. If you've, if you were having the worst experience, you know, you name it. Um, let's take a 200, for example, like Candace's 200s where there's a hundred hour cutoff. Um, you could stop for like 10 hours and sleep and eat three meals and stretch it out and change your clothes and take a shower. <laughs> you could do all of that and just still keep going. Just don't get off of the course. So allowing yourself to reset. Um, what about in shorter races? Um, can you give an example or a strategy or just a perspective on how one might reset in a non ultra? Yeah. Um, so I can think back to, um, uh, Boston marathon <laughs> and, um, the race was not going according to plan. Um, you know, I, I, I got, um, I got a, a really bad pain in my foot. Um, wasn't sure what was going on. Um, it, it felt like my foot was, was throbbing. My pace dramatically slowed. Um, and you know, I just, I, I said, okay. Um, you know, my, my, my a goal time goal, it's not going to happen. I, you know, I, I can't run on this foot, but I can still finish, you know, and, and I got to Beth at one point and, you know, she said, it's just four more miles to the finish. I, I could keep moving forward. Um, you know, my, my foot wasn't like excruciating. I, I knew something was definitely off. Um, but I, I, I changed my mindset. I said, I'm going to finish today. I'm going to get this, this finish. It may not have been, you know, the day I anticipated, but I, you know, I had to be okay. And that was something I told myself beforehand. If, mm-hmm. if that goes by, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to stop when I see Beth, you know, I, I have to be okay with, you know, the result, be it slower or whatever. So there was some walking. <laughs> My foot was, you know, it throbbed a bit, especially, you know, on the Newton Hills. That's where it was really throbbing. Um, ended up being three stress fractures. <laughs> we didn't know at the time. Um, but, you know, it was one of those moments where I had to just slow down and just say, okay, this isn't the day I anticipated, but this is the day I'm having. Right. And then, yeah. be, you know, just be okay and change the game plan in order to be able to, to get to the finish line. Boston obviously is one of those races that you want to finish. You know, it's, it's one of those ones you work really hard to get there. You want to experience the full thing and get your finishers medal. So I, you know, I, I said, okay, I gotta, I gotta be okay. Now there was another time I was doing Chicago. I got to mile 24 and I was hypothermic. They pulled me off the course. It wasn't my like there was, it wasn't a decision I made. It was a decision made for me. <laughs> so there are times where, you know, you can't keep going forward. It, it's a detriment, you know, mm-hmm. to yourself. And that's, that's kind of, you know, the difference. But if, you know, your A goal goes out the window, just reassess and say, okay, you know, what can I do from here? What can, what will be my success story? You know, and crossing that finish line success story. How do you get there? If walking's involved, so be it, right? If I have the time to do it. Uh, what was the meaning that you had after the Boston where you had the three stress fractures? When it was done mm-hmm. and you look back on the day, what meaning did it have to you? Uh, what did it mean moving forward? Was it a yeah. failure, a success, and why? Uh, so it was a success in my eyes. Um, my son was there. Um, we didn't have Amber at the time. Keegan was there. And he saw the struggle. I mean, the, the struggle was real. Uh, he knew I was in pain, um, but he saw that I had the fortitude to stick to it 
and to, to finish what I set out to do. So in my eyes, that's a huge success, showing my kids you know, that there are trials and tribulations in life. We're going to be throwing curveballs, and we just have to you know, learn how to swing at the pitch. Mm-hmm. and and take it as it comes you know it's so um it was a success you know again i crossed the finish line um chicago um you know i would say chicago it, um it was under different circumstance um i was more returning a favor for a friend that had paced me to my 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 marathon pr he wanted to run chicago and try to pr so i took him as far as i could and, uh, you know, it, it, it ended up being <laughs> hypothermia that took me out. Um, but I was never really on board for Chicago. Like, it wasn't, like, I wasn't excited about Chicago. Like, in, in that whole training process, there wasn't a, an ounce of me that was like, I'm really looking forward to Chicago. You know, that was the hard part. But I was doing it because my friend needed me. Um, so, you know, it, it, like, I wish it would have been, you know, been a different outcome. It wasn't a failure because my friend finished, you know, I took him as far as I could. So, you know, in my eyes, that was a success too, because I was doing it for my friend, not for myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's always working out for you. There's uh, some kind of like crazy reframes because we can never know what an alternative outcome could have been. But, you know, say for example, in Boston, when we can actually um, like hybrid a couple of Boston's together. Um, so I'm, I'm going to compare that with like the year of the bombing and like, there may have been someone in that year where the bomb happened, where they had a similar experience. They trained really well, everything was going well, but their foot was hurting and they had to stop and slow down. And maybe later, this is all hypothetic, but maybe later found out had they been on pace, they would have been exactly where the bomb was right. and their family too. Um, and so it's like, even with a broken foot, somebody is looking out for me, comes down to your beliefs, but like that everything's always working out. Um, then maybe you weren't at that intersection where the car would have hit you and you'd be gone and you never will know. And that's where uh, faith comes in again, because you, you can't know. So it, it could just seem like, ah, what poor luck I have. Cause this happened and that happened or <laughs> had it, had it not happened, things would be far worse. And somebody's looking out for you. Um, even your own subconscious, like, I don't want to imply any belief here. That's for you to decide, but like the belief that it is working out for you for whatever reason, and just believing that fully, like through yourself means that when you break your foot, even like there was, I got this on video, actually, I haven't published this yet last week. This has happened a couple of times recently. Um, I'm running out on the trail by my house. And for some reason, I often catch my left big toe on a, on a rock. Uh, and so I caught my toe and I fell to the ground and I kind of scraped my hand and my shoulder and, uh, <laughs> on the way this has happened twice. Um, and I, I got video of this each time because I thought it was really fun. I don't think I've published either one. But the first time this happened, on my way down to the ground, where like face is approaching ground. <laughs> In that moment, I, <laughs> I it sounds crazy. I was grateful <laughs> that I was falling towards the ground. And like before I hit the ground, it's all going slow motion. I said, thank God it wasn't worse. I knew I didn't like break my foot. <laughs> I, I was just going to get a little scrape. Yeah. No big deal, right? And, uh, because it's like, everything's working out. Um, I, had I not fallen, I might've whatever broken my foot over there or got hit by (laughs) lightning over there or got home early, whatever it is, anything. Right. And, uh, and that is, turns into a, 
what can be a beautiful life, a beautiful state of existence where how could it not be if everything is working out for you? And um, it's really tough, I think, in these days, especially to think that things are working out for you when they seem not to be. Because things work out for you when you get the thing you want, it seems. But it's not even true. If we look backwards, can you think of, or anybody listening, think of a time in your past where things really sucked, or really hard, like the hardest it's ever been, but provided that you're not currently in it, that it's behind you, would you trade those experiences? Um, would you erase them and say, oh, I wish that never happened? And I, I don't know if I've ever heard anybody say that they would, because people tend to say, but it uh, allowed me to become who I am mm-hmm. and I wouldn't trade that. And so when we look backwards, it's easy to see that the challenges were there for us to guide us into becoming who we want to be. And we can do it a hundred, you could look back over a hundred things in your life and it's like, yep, that was too. And that was too. And that job loss and that broken bone and that death and that everything. Yep. It was all, it's all love. It's all love. But this time, oh, come on. Does it have to happen this way? And it's really hard to remember that it's always worked out for you. And Joe Rogan says this, he says the hardest thing that's ever happened. The worst thing that's ever happened to you is the worst thing that's ever happened to you. You're still here. And, um, as long as you're alive, uh, you're not done. You can be more, have more, do more. It's like, but we, when we look forward into, into, especially when we're in a problem, it, it often it's, it's hard to remember that it's working out for you right now too, and not to resist it. So th- that's why I asked about the broken bone. Um, because it, it, who knows how deep it went, but you got to show, what did you say? You got to sh- exemplify to your son fortitude. And he got to see the struggle and how impactful will that be in his life? Maybe there'll be some time in his life where he recalls that and says, ah, that's kind of struggle. Even three broken bones, you can still keep going. And this is only whatever, a broken computer or one broken bone or something, right? God forbid. But, um, and that's priceless. So thank God that you broke your foot. (laughs) which sounds kind of morbid, but not really when we look at it at that perspective, right? And right. by the way, um, Pierre de Coubertin, the first, uh, I think he was the first Boston Marathon winner, right? Mm-hmm. I think broke his foot, stress fractures as well. But I, I think if the story, if I remember the story right, he, um, it was his first marathon and he thought, people told him the marathon's hard and there's going to be pain and he thought it was just like normal pain. <laughs> but he broke his foot too and, and still won. Um, kind of cool story. That is a cool story. (laughs) I did not win, but (laughs) I I got my finish. Um, Andrew, I think that's a wonderful place to, to wrap up for today. Yes. Um, what is a, let's give your, uh, your contacts. How can people find you and reach out to you? Sure. Well, just for getting a value that I can just give to listeners, they could go to my YouTube channel, which is at run elite coach run elite coach. Uh, we have, we publish every Sunday and, um, try to give as much value as we can. We talk about nutrition and training and hacks and mindset and stories. Uh, if they want to reach out to me personally, you could go to andrewsnowcoaching.com. You'll be able to find uh, contact there. And, uh, those are probably the best ways. I do have a book coming out in a couple of months and you'll be able to find me there to at run um, which is not live yet, but it will be later this year. And we'll have you back on when the book comes out so we can talk more about that. So okay. we have a million more things we can talk about. Infinite things. This is a big world. Thank you so much for having me on. This is, it's been my pleasure. It's been fun. Thank you so much. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Once again, thank you, Andrew. 
um, for sharing and being open and um, you know vulnerable and, and talking about these topics. Um, it's just what a what a great conversation. I left it just very um, motivated, inspired. Um, I, you know, I found. Um, a lot more peace going into Western states just through that conversation. So thank you, Andrew. Um, what a great, what a great time. So, oh man, yeah, just <laughs> as Andrew said, uh, he, he was getting goosebumps. I, I get chills just thinking about some of the, the things we, we got into and, and how they made me feel. So thanks, man. Um, here in uh, the world of MR running pains, we are, uh, or I am <laughs> in the process of rebranding as, as some of you know, and that process is, is going great. Um, we're finalizing a logo, um, got a name. I'm not quite ready to share yet. Uh, want to make it kind of a, a big announcement. Um, you know, as, as we get more through this process, uh, my athletes are, are voting on the color of the logo right now. We, uh, I involved my athletes and my family and friends in the uh, the naming process, I feel it's something that really, um, really is cohesive with what I'm trying to do. It represents me well, um, not only for coaching but for podcasting and, and everything I do. So um, I'm very pleased with the direction things are going, and uh, that will be coming out pretty soon here. As um, Ash Ringo Welsh continues to work on all my uh, logos and website and everything, everything's being revamped. So, um, you know, stay tuned for all of that and all the announcements that will come with that. So, super excited about that that portion. So, thank you to uh, to Ash for all the work she's putting into it and to uh, to everybody that's contributed. I really do appreciate your input. Um, so far as, uh, you know, everything else goes, my goodness, um, Western States is upon us. It's crazy. A week to go, and my next conversation is going to be with Thomas Brown. And Thomas just did Old Dominion. He is doing uh, the Grand Slam. Uh, he is not doing Leadville. That is the race he is not doing since he did Old Dominion. So that's uh, the difference in our schedule. I will be doing Leadville, and, and he will not since he did Old Dominion. Um, but we're going to have a conversation. Uh, about you know Old Dominion, how it went, the Grand Slam in general, uh, what's coming up with Western states. Uh, so, looking forward to my conversation with Thomas because he's uh, just a fantastic person. Uh, so, uh, stay tuned for that next week. Kind of give you a, you know a Western states rundown, um, and I may even you know do some recording while we're uh, while we're there in Tahoe um, from some of my Pacers and and crew uh, and hear from them and, and their thoughts. So, um, you know, stay tuned next week. Should be a fun episode. Uh, and everything else, um, you know, as I've, I've said the past few weeks, um, unfortunately I have to cap, uh, my athletes right now. Um, I'm, I'm kind of booked up and, you know, obviously with everything going on with, uh, the grand slam, um, I, I just, um, I need to, <laughs> to, to keep the status quo where it's at. So if you're interested in coaching in the future, please don't hesitate to reach out. If you're interested in the coaching in the present, I do have a lot of folks that I know a lot of great professional coaches, um, that I can turn you to, um, and suggest to you. So, um, you know, Natalie Daniels being one of them, um, you've heard Natalie on this podcast. She's one of my athletes. She's a fantastic coach. Uh, she is open for coaching, um, as well as, um, Timothy Nooney. Uh, Timothy is just getting into the world of coaching. Um, he's excited, uh, opening up to athletes. Uh, Timothy, um, He's he's got a great background in his own running. He just won Hellbender, uh, but he's very passionate about our sport and about coaching. And-
and uh, the the scientific backing behind it. So I, I really think Tim's going to make a great coach as well. So some potentials there. If you need me to make the connection, please do. Uh, and I'm sorry that you know I can't take on any athletes at this moment. But again, if you're looking for coaching for the fall future. You know, it's just don't hesitate to reach out. Um, like I said, I, I can't get anybody started right now, but um, you know, please, if you if you're interested, let me know. So, lots of changes, lots of things going on here in the world of MR running pains. Um, you know, for the time being, MR running pains is soon to be renamed. Uh, super excited about that. So, uh, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Once again, thank you to Andrew. Um, again, if you have any questions or comments, concerns, anything, uh, and you want to reach out to either Andrew or myself, check out the show notes. Both of our communications will be in there. Uh, my fundraisers uh, are coming to a close. Um, we've raised over $8,000, which is amazing. Uh, I want to thank everybody that's contributed. Um, if you would like to contribute in the final hours here uh, of the fundraising opportunities, um, see the show notes. I've got two links in there. One is for the Vermont Adaptive, which will go towards the Vermont 100 and the challenged athletes of um, that foundation. Uh, the other is for the Challenged Athlete Foundation, uh, which is a West Coast-based company, but they do the same thing in trying to give opportunities to challenged athletes um, with, with be it with disabilities, uh, be it visual impairment, physical impairment. Yeah, so uh, please check those out. If you can make a donation, it's greatly appreciated, not only from myself, but from the athletes that it helps. So um, thank you very much for, again, for all those that have contributed to that and made this such a success. I am just overwhelmed with the uh, response that um, I've had in the fundraising, and I thank you from the bottom of my heart for all your help. Um, so until next time with my conversation um, with Thomas Brown, uh, you know, from from Coach Aaron Saft here at the World of MR Running Pains, uh, I hope you keep running, my friends.